there's all these noises. I think it, I don't know what it is. The pass device is an alarm that is intended to sound loudly and flash lights after a set duration of non-movement by the wearer. That guy needs some oxygen. If someone can share it with him. 10-4. Thanks. with Matt Mallory and Clint Necro. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now, your hosts. This episode is brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. The right medical training and gear should be accessible to every American. Mantis. Mantis X helps shooters suck less. Meet the Pressers is sponsored by Next Level Training, Saber Red, Cutting Edge Bullets, the USCCA, ASP, Common Sense Self-Defense, and T1 Ammunition. Meet the Pressers is also generously supported by other fine companies, ranges, and our Patreon members. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Meet the Pressers. I'm Matt Mallory and this is my co-host Clint Macro. We talk about trigger pressers, blowing things up, faith every once in a while, product reviews, and we get into the, the nuts and the bolts of the firearms industry and shooting as a whole. And Clint's going to introduce our special guest today. Today we have a very unique guest, a special guest. His name is Leo Ketsarea. He is uh, also, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be one, and so is he, one of the 30 speakers that's going to be speaking at the virtual 2A rally. It's going to be taking place on October 24th, 2020. He is in the U.S. Navy and has a very interesting background in how he has come to exercise his Second Amendment rights. Leo, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Clinton Matt. It's uh, truly a pleasure and an honor to be with you. 
Well, thank you. You know, I gave the like the 50,000 foot view of your of your background. Would you be willing to fill us in a little more specifically on how you've come to this country and, and began to uh, exercise your Second Amendment rights? Right. Yes, of course. Uh, I was born and raised in Australia and my accent is not the most Australian. Most people confuse it for British, but that's because I speak English properly. Uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, I was born and raised in Australia and spent my 20s traveling trying to find my place in the world and in 2009 while I was studying a little bit of Arabic in Qatar I met some American students who said you know what it sounds like you love liberty and uh, you should go and research the United States and the revolution I think you'll like it and I did just that I looked at the revolution the causes of it the founding fathers and the founding documents, including the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and fell in love. Uh, so awesome. I decided at that point, I think it was 2008, 2009, that I would uh, travel to the United States when I had the opportunity. And I did so in 2012, My, uh, immigrated here and uh, worked as a consultant to a federal agency in the field of counterterrorism uh, between 2013 and 2016. And in 2016, I went to Navy boot camp. Uh, I should mention now that um, none of my views reflect the policies or the views of the Department of the Defense or the Department of the Navy. And uh, my views are my own. So I, I need to make that clear so that nobody thinks that I'm talking for the, for the Navy or the Department of Defense. Uh, and so... I've been in the Navy since 2016, and uh, I've always loved guns, even growing up in Australia, which hates guns ever since the Port Arthur massacre in, uh, I think it was 1996 or 94, uh, and they effectively banned most semi-auto firearms. I've always loved them for some reason. And uh, when I came here, I bought as many as I could, and I still do. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember seeing that uh, the iconic picture of a pile of guns in Australia when they did the, the gun buyback and they said they were just going to burn them all or destroy, destroy them all. What I can remember is as a kid seeing piles of really great guns uh, being destroyed and people gloating about it in, in government. And um, it's really unfortunate because that's a group of people that have no understanding whatsoever of what rights are. Everything is a privilege in Australia. And if, uh, if the government or the people voted out or public opinion is strong enough, then any right can be taken away. So we see history repeat itself all over the world. And knowing what had happened in Australia, are you seeing some of the same things taking place in the United States that happened there that led up to confiscations and bans? In some ways, yes, but I think there's, through incre incrementalization, it's becoming more and more possible for this to occur. And I think uh, very slowly as we see some states move towards that, even the state that I'm located in, Virginia, uh, it's definitely something that I see as being possible, but the difference is that Americans fought for their rights and died for their rights and uh, Australians did not. So I don't think it's going to be as easy to deprive the American people of the ability to keep an environment. And even uh, in, in politics today, and I, 
I will absolutely do my best to stay away from talking about political candidates or parties. Um, I think most recognize that uh, it would be unconstitutional to start taking away people's firearms. Agreed. I think there's, yeah, and I totally agree as well, but I think they're, uh, the narrative that they're pushing, you know, we're going to ban this, we're going to ban that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around their mindset, their mindset of, you know, taking guns out of good people's hands. Bad guys are still going to have guns. I mean, Australia, a good example. They took away the guns. Uh, did all the crime go away? <laughs> no. And in fact, um, uh, there was something going around on social media about how crime went up and Snopes, which is generally, I think, quite accurate. Uh, they published a, a, um, a clarification or a fact check on this. Uh, and they said that it wasn't true that crime didn't go up, but they actually, I don't think they counted assaults uh, or robberies or one of the two, which, you know, uh, robbery is assault is uh, violence plus theft. So um, it's very interesting. Gun crime goes down when you take away guns, which is entirely true because criminals no longer feel that they need to risk the consequences of carrying a firearm when the people that they are going to victimize don't have a firearm uh, too. I don't have firearms. Yep. But that's not the point of it, is it? The point is firearms are a means for innocent people to be able to defend their lives against people who will use whatever weapon they ha are able to carry yep. uh, against them to deprive them of their rights. And uh, that's why um, if, if you actually go back and look at the history of it, the gun, the gun crime went down, sure, but the violent crime in Australia after banning all of these firearms actually went up to, I think it was more than 800 instances per capita, which is almost double in the U.S. actually. Mm. Yeah, significant. Yeah, one of the other narratives that the anti-gun forces will call, uh, were, were promoting prior to COVID was that suicides were up because of uh, firearm ownership. And then if you look at countries like Australia or Japan or somewhere else, uh, it's, it's, virtually the same kind of number per capita in state in in countries where guns are unavailable versus places like this where guns are available so i think that's a flawed kind of thought process as well well it, it's ultimately flawed because suicide is a personal decision that somebody's taking somebody who's highly distressed and in need of um in need of help is is taking and it's one that is a, can be a very instantaneous decision where they can use a firearm, et cetera. Uh, and firearms do make it easier to kill yourself. That's, I don't think that's in question. But to deprive the entire society from the means and ability to defend their lives because some people will use that to take their own uh, is, I, I think, very flawed thinking and... Uh, I, I don't see it as a justification to be able to do that. If you look oh. at it as a, like a baseline and you put vehicles, right? Vehicles are a right, I mean, a, a privilege, and firearms are a right in the United States. Um, but people are DUIs, DWIs, vehicular manslaughter. You know, they're, they're using the cars that hurt other people or whatever, making poor choices with that. But we're not banning vehicles, and that's a privilege. But guns are a right, and yet they're going after guns. It's just a deeper a deeper meaning or deeper thought on their part behind the scenes is what i think it is 
Well, one of the brilliant tactics that the anti-gunners use, I mean, we're seeing an example of it right now in this conversation. We're talking about firearms, but we're only talking about them in the context of suicide and criminal activity, right? So that, that connection is there mm -hmm. for the layperson that doesn't recognize how many times firearms are used for righteous purpose to yep. defend family and loved ones. Very you know, that true. CDC data that was, that was put out and kind of suppressed for, for a year or so, um, you know, I forget the numbers uh, specifically, but if, as I understand it, if you take half of their estimation for righteous gun use, and, or if you take a, an average, rather, of their, of their uh, estimation and cut it in half even, you're looking at thousands of law-abiding citizens using guns every day to defend right. themselves or to de-escalate a situation to where they don't get attacked. Because the average law, or excuse me, the average uh, garden variety criminal, if there is such a thing, as soon mm -hmm. as they see a, a law-abiding citizen prepared to defend themselves with a firearm, they're very likely to move on to that next victim. And those kind of stories we hear nothing about. I think that's an important point to look at there, um, is the factor that comes into it when uh, criminals think that the public could be armed. Uh, that in itself is a deterrent that isn't really quantifiable when we look at um, when we look at how much gun ownership deters uh, criminality, because I th I think uh, once criminals realize that the people are disarmed, they're more likely to victimize people because all they require then is more than one criminal or a large number of weapons to be able to. Uh, strong arm you into doing what they desire or, or want you to do once they deprive you of your rights. So having a, a an armed society is one that in itself deters crime, especially when you have concealed carry. Uh, you don't know who, who could shoot back at that point. Sure. Uh, and that's what happened in Australia is that criminals realized the public were disarmed. The criminals only use the firearms against each other and they are able to get them into Australia. And I, talking about coming from a country that is a continent it shares no land borders with any other nation yet what happens is uh criminals are still able to get modern firearms brought into the country like they do with um with drugs and everything else mm. and the ultimate conclusion is the only way that you will be able to stop uh criminals from bringing in this is to look at the prison system where criminals there uh, under the strictest of controls are still able to bring drugs and, and other weapons and Shank, cell phones in. Shanks, yeah. Yeah. So then at that point you have to ask the question is, do you want to control control society and have uh, such a regime that requires stricter controls than a prison? And if so, I'm sorry, but uh, I've actually lived in tyrannical dictatorships. I was in Syria before the civil war and I was teaching English there. There's no way in hell that I'm prepared to allow this country to go to that. And I don't think any other American is prepared, irrespective of which side of the uh, political sure. divide you're on. Well, the ironic thing is, you know, when you were talking about Australia with the prison system and or the actual physical borders of the continent, the fact that all that is happening is a complete failure of government. But who do they hold responsible? The law abiding citizen. Mm -hmm. So they strip the law abiding citizen of their rights when in fact, the jurisdiction of the prisons and the jurisdiction of the borders of the country are purely on the uh, the shoulders of the government. But that doesn't get spoken about too often either, I would reckon. I don't think that anybody on the left of the divide that will be taken seriously wants to create a society where we're all deprived of our rights like this. 
I think through being well-meaning uh, that they will inevitably push us towards that um, when talking about really progressive uh, type people. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, there is that saying the road to hell is paved with good and in, good intentions. intentions mm, yep. yeah. So, you know, um, it, it's inevitable that that will occur, but I don't think that we'll get there. I don't think uh, Americans are built like that. I think, I think there will be a, a pushback. Well, I've, I've had a, a lot of hope and a lot of faith in my fellow citizens going through this COVID crisis. Uh, we've seen millions of people who were frankly anti-gun six months ago who have now recognized the importance and the necessity of exercising their Second Amendment rights. And I think we have a lot more, um, we'll call them allies in the fight to gain back the liberty that's been lost over the last you know, 100 or 200 years. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Even, even the folks that are a little more liberal-minded or on you know, whatever side of that dividing line that what you might put as far as politics is concerned, uh, Americans are realizing that they do have rights and that there's reasons for them to be there and, and they have the opportunity and they should exercise them. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's literally the last line of defense for our liberty is the ability to keep and bear arms. But I think that uh, Patrick Henry's warning for us to, jar, uh, to guard with jealous, jealous attention the public liberty is one that we need to fulfill. Agreed. I'll give that a good old harumph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all agree that, uh, that an armed and educated citizenry is our true uh, check and balance of the, of the government and our greatest homeland security, most certainly. I don't think any nation would be brave enough to invade uh, because there are as many guns as there are people and actually probably more now. That was back in, when I looked at it, that was maybe in 2000. And, 12, I looked at the, the numbers, but there's probably a, a great deal more guns now than we had before. Um, so yes, it's, it, it, it rings very true. Um, and what I'm enjoying seeing is uh, more and more people now getting into guns, uh, then becoming popular. Um, what I would like to see more from the gun community is uh, perhaps some uh, more inclusion uh, of different groups. I think we're starting to see more African-Americans becoming gun owners, which I think is outstanding uh, because they've been historically the most disenfranchised Americans when it comes to firearms. A lot of the firearms gun control laws uh, were created to deprive them of those rights. And uh, I saw that you had Yehuda on uh, recently. That's great to see the Jewish community being armed. If there is not a community that needs to be armed more. I, I would be surprised. Um, they are, have consistently been the targets of every type of oppression and, and outrage against them. And from my own community and the Muslim community, I'm trying to encourage them to, to get armed uh, now. What is your, um, you know, what, thinking of that as far as, you know, we're Christians, you're Muslim, he's Jewish. Your faith in that sense and the Quran and, and you know, and the, the spotlight in the media as far as the negative and, you know, kill all Amer Americans, kill the infidels. What's, what's your view, you know, explain to our listeners why the Muslim faith shouldn't be ridiculed and 
dismissed or hated like it is in the media and by a lot of people? Hmm. That's a, it's a good question because I would never encourage people to, um, to not be angry or, or hateful towards people that should be hated. And unfortunately there are Muslims out there that have hijacked my religion and use it uh, as a means to, which I became a Muslim when I was 16, which was a little before 9-11 actually, uh, not, not long before. Uh, they've hijacked something which I saw as a means for, um, and a vehicle for guaranteeing the rights of people and the freedom of people and turned it into something that's just horrible. Um, so I think what, what it requires is just looking at the faith separately from uh, having uh, preconceived notions and, and seeing in there that what you might see in some types of theology or jurisprudence are not, especially when it comes out of places like Saudi Arabia, it's not actually Islam. And there is a real movement within Islam that is, has been around for a very long time that, that looks to guarantee rights and have uh, modern and liberal ideas that are not found in societies like Saudi Arabia. Mm. Very well said. Well, it's interesting that we're having this conversation on the 19th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. I'm, I'm really glad that you're on the show with us, definitely. So you became a Muslim uh, after being a young adult. So I guess with your last name, it's, it's not Chinese. Uh, are you Greek? Is that, you, is that your family's heritage? Yes, actually, my father is Greek and uh, my mother is Turkish, which in itself is a cra crazy mix <laughs> and, and story. But um, yes, my father is Greek. Uh, I was raised Christian, not Greek Orthodox, uh, but uh, of, a, of a different uh, Christian domina, domina, uh, denomination by my mother. And um, my father is actually Muslim. So it's, it's a crazy story, but what led me towards uh, Islam was really looking at the, the history of the way that, um, that the uh, Arabs, uh, the pre-Islamic Arab society existed. It was tribal. And in tribal uh, Arabia, you could effectively do what you want to other people uh, if your tribe was big enough, because there would be no consequences. If that person you're attacking or raping or pillaging was not from your tribe and your tribe was stronger than theirs, then you would be able to get away with any, any type of bad behavior or atrocity. atrocity. Yeah, yeah. That you wanted. Uh, kind of like the what, Vikings. That makes me kind of think of like the Vikings where they would just. Yeah. But not cool. Like on TV. <laughs> so, yeah. so touché, touché. but, but, but when Islam came, it, it brought, uh, it, it shattered the notions of tribalism and it came and it said, no, the, the underlying um, maxim is the law and that justice must be done irrespective of what tribe you're from and who your family is, that you are as accountable as a king or uh, a pauper, essentially. So um, that these things had to be shattered. Um, and I really saw it as a vehicle for rights. And over time, I think um, there was a real strong movement uh, before the end of the Ottoman Empire to move towards, they had something called the Tanzimat, which guaranteed the rights of the of every minority in there as Ottoman citizens, just like we're American citizens. Um, 
And that was something that was pretty profound because it was a national identity that was not built on race or religion or ethnicity. Uh, and you're talking about an empire that's, that was as big as the world from North Africa all the way to Asia. So, and into Europe, covering people of all different religions. Um, but the young Turks came in and uh, effectively ruined that. And it led, you know, World War I happened and all of the, the advances just were put down the toilet. Hmm. Well, since we're on the topic of um, religion, uh, do you care to talk about your uh, facial hair and the, the Navy? Oh, I guess you must have seen, uh, seen something about that. Yes, yeah, so um, it's my belief, my sincere religious belief, that uh, I need to have a beard for, as a part of my religion. As a male that is able to grow one, I should have one. And uh, I enlisted in the Navy with the expectation that I would be able to do so because the Department of Defense in 2014 revived its policies to say that we would be able to have beards. Uh, and actually, traditionally, the Navy has beards. But um, uh, when I went into the Navy, it was very difficult to do it, to actually have a beard. Um, and I submitted over five years, eight requests to be able to do so. And every time they were rejected uh, until I brought into, into it uh, a great organization called Beckett. It's a foundation for religious liberty. And uh, they helped change the army uh, to get the army to conform more to um, the DOD policies and did the same with the Air Force. So when I brought in uh, Beckett, the Navy has allowed me to do a little bit more uh, in terms of having a beard. Now, this is not a permanent thing like it should be. And there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But I tell you what, it feels great to have a beard now. And I'm <laughs> looking forward. It's in this ugly growing period right now, but it's going to be beautiful. So that was recent then? Very recent. It was awesome. uh, only a couple of months ago that, that it was, um, I was allowed to start growing it. And uh, before then, I was allowed to have kind of like a quarter inch um, of facial hair growth, like people who have razor bumps. Um, but that was not consistent with the beliefs that I have and the, uh, the requirements that I have as a Muslim. Well, it's not just Muslims. I mean, there, there are certain Christian sects. There are also uh, Jewish sects at all the sects, S-E-C-T-S. I want to make sure that comes out clearly. Hey. <laughs> uh, that, that, where, that, that do the beard thing. And, you know, so I'm, I'm surprised it's taken this long for, for uh, military to come around. I mean, I could, I could see, depending on your MOS, like if you had to wear a scuba mask or like a firefighter mask or something, I could see where that might be a safety concern. Mm -hmm. But outside of that. Right. And so the argument from the Navy was that uh, every sailor is a firefighter uh, because of uh, the nature of our work. Uh, we operate in a very dangerous environment and fire on ships are, are perhaps the most dangerous thing there is. Um, so uh, the equipment that we had, well, that the Navy had back in the 80s, I think they called it an OBA, uh, which required a seal on the face to be able to use um, the breathing apparatus and fight mm -hmm. fires. But we use an SCBA now, mm -hmm. which has positive pressure instead of negative pressure. So it pushes all particulates out. Yeah. Um, so I, I get the feeling and, and, and whatnot that the, um, that was an excuse why we couldn't have it. 
but it was not the reason why. I think it was more of a cultural thing within the Navy. And I think uh, the Navy is starting to realize more and more that they need to be more inclusive uh, to sailors because I tell you what, there's a lot of people in the Sikh community and the Jewish community mm -hmm. who I know would, and the Muslim community who I know would absolutely love to serve. And I am most critical of the Muslim community for not serving enough, but it's hard to be critical to them when they can't do so with uh, that, when the choice is between ser uh, serving their country and uh, fulfilling their religious obligations, it shouldn't be a choice. Interesting. It is interesting. It, it's kind of um, made me think of women not being able to be on the front line. And now they're starting to be because they're, they're pushing and saying they want to be on the front line, et cetera. Um, or, you know, gays in the military, stuff like that. So it's, uh, you know. Right. Yes. And it's um, what it does is it creates an environment where uh, anything that is different from that sh clean shaven uh, person is seen as something that's very, very much outside uh, and allows prejudices to start to occur. For me, you know, uh, I've been subject, uh, I've been subjected to I found out recently four NCIS investigations since enlisting in the Navy, which was in 2016. And they were for the most ridiculous reasons, like the fact that I'm a Muslim wanted to grow a beard, or the most recent one was that uh, I'm, I, I love shooting, I love guns, and uh, I also happen to be Muslim at the same time. So there was, uh, the most recent one was an investigation into me for that purpose. None of them have been substantiated, but unlike the FBI who will not do an investigation based on the, based on constitutionally protected activities uh, and they're prevented from doing so by the Department of Justice, NCIS has no such restrictions. So they just go on to, will start investigations for the most stupid reasons. Well, well, those, kind of, those kind of investigations happen to all kinds of people, especially those that want to exercise their Second Amendment rights. I know mm -hmm. folks from all different races, creed, backgrounds, white, whatever, um, most certainly. So I think that there is an indication of, of a problem uh, within, uh, you know, leadership as far as picking out people who are exercising their Second Amendment right. Okay. Right. Now, as long as you're not learning how to fly a plane, only fly it, not land it then we're okay. Yeah. So um, I guess there goes my, my aspirations to be a pilot in the future that, <laughs> and the fact that apparently my depth perception is horrible, but you know, <laughs> yeah, my eyesight went bad at 45. So I just threw that out the window. I'm like, yeah, eyes are going bad at 45. I'm giving up my, my, my dream. My, my eyesight went bad in, in Jeff Gonzalez's pistol class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good. That is yeah. good. That's funny. <laughs> Awesome. So, so where do we go from here? What are you, uh, what are your aspirations? What do you want to, uh, what do you want to do? What are your, what's your five-year plan? I guess the important thing now is to just get out there and start being a public face. I don't like the, the phrase Muslim American or American Muslim. I'm just an American. Uh, but it's now perhaps time to start um, challenging a lot of those ideas as well. That's a good point. Cause I mean, I don't go by Christian American or American Christian. I go by American. And then my faith is Christian. Right. So that you just happens to be a Christian. 
the hyphenated delineations are designed to separate us. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, even looking back like a hundred years ago with my family and, you know, there being German American or Italian American, I mean, it was always to, to separate people. But I think what we need to push and the, what we need to promote is we as Americans, all Americans enjoy certain rights or we have the ability to enjoy those rights. And those rights are guaranteed to us by the constitution. And the right that we're talking about, that second amendment should be the end all be all. You know, you're an American, I'm American, let's go yeah. shoot. Absolutely. I think that's really the only way forward because the sooner that everybody starts looking at each other like Americans instead of something that's hyphenated uh, and the sooner we become to ex accept everybody and uh, just enjoy life as Americans. That's, that's the greatest blessing. We, we are literally the luckiest people on earth and we should start acting like it. Amen. Awesome. Can you tell us or tell our viewers how they can, you know, follow you, look at where you're going to be speaking. You're going to be speaking at the uh, virtual rally happening on the 24th of October. Are, there, are you doing any other type of speaking engagements, things like that? No extra speaking engagements for now. I think that'll be my first major one, but I intend to do more. Uh, you can definitely find me on Twitter. Um, if you search for Leo Katsureo, which might be a little bit to spell, but I also uh, use the name America's Hype Man because you know, we're truly blessed in this country to be who and what we are. Um, catch me on Twitter uh, or Facebook, and I'll be doing a lot more uh, in the future with, uh, with other contributors, too. It's, it's going to be really great to, to participate on the 24th of October. We'll see you at the virtual 2A rally, if not before, and have yourself a good one, man. Thank you. Take care. You too, gents. There's lots of sponsors that make this show possible, like Mountain Man Medical. Check them out and give them your business. This episode is brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. The right medical training and gear should be accessible to every American. Mantis. Mantis X helps shooters suck less. Meet the Pressers is sponsored by Next Level Training, Saber Red, Cutting Edge Bullets, the USCCA, ASP, Common Sense Self-Defense, and T1 Ammunition. Meet the Pressers is also generously supported by other fine companies, ranges, and our Patreon members. Thank you. Thanks for watching or listening to our show. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, share. Click that little bell thingy so you know when the next episode's uploaded. Support us on Patreon. Come to one of our classes. Host us to come to you and do one of our classes at your location. And until next time, adieu. Thank you for watching Meet the Pressers. 